Welcome to episode 47 of the Forward from 50 podcast, where we interview people over 50 who are pursuing a new direction for their lives. It's an opportunity for men and women to tell their stories their way in their own words. I'm Greg Gerber, the founder of Forward from 50 and your host for today's show. Today's interview is chock full of golden nuggets of truth. I'm speaking with a woman from Texas whose life was changed when she started working in the salon and spa industry. Now, she's on a mission to help people feel as good on the inside as they look on the out. Joan Turley worked for a Christian nonprofit for a number of years. One of the group's biggest donors owned a large beauty salon in the Houston area that was experiencing an unfortunate transition itself. The woman asked Joan to join the team to bring about some much-needed healing within the company. So Joan entered the salon and spa business kicking and screaming due to all the Saturday work, and she wasn't too keen on working with such a diverse group of staff, vendors, and clientele. She thought God had called her to Babylon. But a funny thing happened along the way. Joan fell in love with the people and with the opportunity to love them and build them up. Today she has a mandate to do the same thing with what she calls the Winter Saints. To tell us how God used Joan to mentor others as well as prompt her to perform sacred work in secular places, please welcome business development expert Joan Turley to the show. Thanks for joining me today, Joan. I really appreciate your time. I understand you were involved in the salon and spa industry for many years. What caused you to go in that direction? Discontentless with my previous job. <laughs> okay. And then a door opened to go into the salon and spa world, one that I went kicking and screaming. I did not want to give up my Saturdays, but it was the only door that was open. And I remember my husband saying, oh, just go. It might be the best thing you've ever done. And it absolutely was the best thing. I walked into my calling. I walked into the job that God had been preparing for me for slow learner. It took a while mm -hmm. for me to learn all those lessons. But it ended up being the most beautiful thing I've ever done and found my calling, which is I ended up figuring out there that it's it's the people that it's not so much the job, but it is the people that have been entrusted to your care. And that's where the love of people development came in. Were you So everything changed with that. Were you involved in styling people's hair or were you running the operation? I was running the operations. It's, it really started off just working behind the counter, checking everybody in. And it is a true God story. But within six months, I ended up being the spa director, which led to general management and then director of operation. There were a number of people working for me and about seven different departments. It was the, one of the largest salon and day spas in Houston. But it is absolutely where I fell in love with work. Wrote a book about it. Fell in love with work and fell in, because I fell in love with the people. And suddenly I just realized, man, if we all got this, that it's about the people that start to move in and out of our circles that we're called to love and build where we can. In fact, there's a story in there about the difference between knowing when you're just supposed to build someone or love someone. And once you figure that out, usually the people you're just supposed to love are there for just a short season because you can't build someone if they're not buildable. They, if they're not teachable, you can't build them. So just Spend your time loving them and they'll probably be on their way. But the other ones you can build and you actually get to bring out, God uses you to get to bring out and call out the best in them. So it is where I fell in love with coaching, fell in love with seeing people right where they were, loving all kinds of people. Didn't matter if we shared the same political viewpoint, religious viewpoint, as long as that is where my feet were planted, I was called to love them there. And so it really was this one quote by Billy Graham, because I told you I went kicking and screaming. And when I first walked into that door, I had left a Christian nonprofit. Now, here I am in this very secular organization. And I walked in and I went, oh, my Lord, this is not going to work. Look at me, Lily White, Southern Baptist, pretty conservative. Look at them. And I said it under my breath out loud. I said, this is not going to work. They're not like me. And I want you to know, Greg, in that moment was a holy moment. I heard God say, you're right. They're not like you. They're like me. They are made in my image and I call you to love them. Joan, it doesn't matter whether they know me or not because they're in my image. 
I love them and they're precious to me. So I need them to be precious to you. When I had walked in and said, oh, my Lord, you sent me to Babylon. It was like, yeah, I want you to love these people. And so it's this falling in love season of discovering the beauty of image makers. And what it taught me was that everyone's worthy of dignity Mm -hmm. and respect. And when you can start showing people true dignity and respect, even when there's differing opinions, love walks in the door. That's a very good point. I remember when I was going through public relations training in the 1980s for the first time, they always said that if you, the real influencers in the community are the hairdressers and barbers because they Uh, have a captive audience for 20 to 30 minutes and you get them talking about your product, your service, your company or whatever, and they can help generate fans for you. The same thing can happen to to Christianity. Absolutely. So my priority was always... And just by the grace of God, because I'd never been to business school, ended up running this company, but was my staff first, my vendors second, my clients third. I intuitively knew if I took care of my staff, really listened and learned and saw where they were lacking and what they needed to grow, and then really honored my vendors because then I could partner with them and I could get things that most people couldn't get. Because I just realized this was this beautiful collaborative effort. They taught me the business. It was my vendors who taught me the business. Helped me figure out education and all of that. Just helped me build a smorgasbord, basically, for my team. And then I knew if those were taken care of, we'd never have to worry about heavy clients. So that has always been something near and dear to my heart. It's something I teach in my salon business that I have now. Is look, get your priorities straight. Your staff should be your first priority. Learn to work with them. See them as your biggest asset. And does it mean you'll never fire? Of course you will. But even in firing, there's a way that we can do it with dignity. I, I used to, when I had to fire someone, I would, I had, I didn't call them write-ups. I called them restoration plans. And I would pull up those little restoration plans and I'd say, here's the deal. I'm sitting here looking at three or four resurrect, uh, three or four plans, restoration plans, and you haven't followed one of these. I'm going to tell you what this tells me. This tells me that you're not a bad person, but this isn't your cup of tea. Mm-hmm. If it were your cup of tea, you'd be flourishing here. And here's what I know. You were made to flourish and you need to go find your flourish. It might not be here because we, you're not able to follow these plans but I wish you the best. In fact, I'll be praying for you, but go find your flourish. It's just not happening here. (laughs) That is an excellent way to terminate an employee. It's uplifting and empowering at the same time. And it's probably a blessing in their life because you've released them to go find their flourish. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because I honestly believe they were meant to flourish. And sometimes it feels like this. And if you feel like that happening, You have to ask yourself, what's going on here, God? And is there a way for me to help this person? And you're going to document. But then if it gets to this point, then you have that beautiful little come to Jesus meeting and you let them go find their flourish. You have, I used to tell my husband, I I wish that I was like a three-legged stool. (laughs) I need to have one leg for the owners, one leg for my staff and one leg for my clients. Because you're, that is what you're doing. You are managing three different factors, your, man, your ownership, your staff, and your clientele. And you've constantly got your fingers in all three of these at all times. <laughs> I wish more businesses understood that if they make their employees feel valued, appreciated, and essential, they are going to overserve customers. Oh, yeah. you, you denigrate the employees and you're constantly ridiculing them or complaining about things that they're doing without building them up, they just take it out on their customers. And it's oh, just a and, cycle. And here's the other thing. I remember, Greg, that when I first started leading, I didn't realize you would have to write up people. And I can remember thinking, oh my gosh, write up an adult? I, I had never been written up in a job before. But that is when I began to see, first of all, People don't understand the true and noble purpose of correction because most people are not corrected correctly in the workplace. Scripture says that rebuke is the way of life, Mm -hmm. not death, the way of life. It's you coming alongside of somebody, helping them face an area that there's a deficit in and helping them grow. So 
I had a very wise mentor in my life who told me early on. So since I was a teenager, I knew this. And when I started to lead, I could hear it like a foghorn, loud and clear. You should not rebuke someone unless in the same breath you can restore them. If you can't restore them, you have no business rebuking them. So it just became, this is how this restoration plan started to come up, was what's the restoration plan? How can I offer them a way forward? Because for most of the time, when you tell somebody, uh, I need to see you this afternoon, you saw this deer in a headlights look in their eyes, and they were scared to death. Mm-hmm. And it's because their hearts had been ripped up and been left bleeding on the floor by previous managers, supervisors, owners, whatever, who did not know how to correctly correct. So I realized I had to start teaching my staff there is a true and noble purpose to correction. So when you come in here, I don't want you to be afraid. I want us to be able to sit down and talk about what's happening, but I need you to know from the get-go, I am for you. Mm -hmm. And if we can make a way forward, we're going to move forward. So they knew that. So by the if there ever did have to be this firing, and there were times that I had to fire people. They could honestly, if they were honest, they could say, yes, we've sat down and we've had these restoration meetings and this probably isn't a place of flourish. Right. You know? Yep. I agree with that. That's uh, I, I love that empowering and the ability to make people feel good about themselves. Because yes. I think many employees, they want to please their boss. They want to succeed yes. on the job. And if they're not, they have to go find something else to do yes. that is better suited to them. But yeah, the absolutely. idea of approaching correction as an opportunity for them to flourish, not just to help the company get better or provide better service. I, yes. I like that way, that approach very much. I, I think it is the job of leaders, truly, is leadership is about developing people. Mm-hmm. If we want our companies to grow, we are going to have to invest in our people. All right. There's an old, I don't know where it is, scripturized, but it's in Proverbs somewhere that says, if you want, in other words, basically, if you're a farmer and you want to produce, you're going to have oxen and the oxen are going to have to be stored in the barn. And when they come into that barn, they bring all their mess. But with no oxen in the barn, there's not going to be any revenue. That many oxen coming into the barn, bringing in all their, you know what, Mm -hmm. because they've been out in the field, they are the revenue makers. So you have to just know, I'm going to have some messy things happen here. But this is where my real revenue lies, is when I can develop a step that they are seen and heard. They know they're going to get called in the carpet if they need it, but it'll be in love. They'll know it. it. It's a beautiful opportunity for leaders to invest in the next generation of workers. Absolutely. Because when I look back on my career, there were certain bosses that just came alongside me and helped me flourish. They were just, they corrected me when I was going off in the wrong direction, but more often than not, they empowered me and encouraged me to get better and be better and learn more. And I just love that kind of environment. Me too. When you said you were brought into the salon industry, kicking and screaming, what, what were you doing before that? I had been in a Christian nonprofit, and I knew that my time had come when there's a door that is closing. So I knew I needed to find my next. The owner of this beautiful salon happened to be one of our major donors. And she was doing, she had encountered what's known in the industry as her first walkout. So a walkout after 18 years of being in business means your moneymakers walk out of the door. And it was to the tune of millions. And so she was in this place where she had never been. Beautiful woman, just precious woman of God, and actually gave me my wings. I say that all the other bosses that came before, which I love, that my my book is dedicated to three bosses. The other ones sometimes made me cry, but they saw in something in me and they were, God was using them to pull out the best in me. It's not always a fun feeling. But Francie saw, she saw it was just that time. This is her season. She can do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I came in there, I came in to help bring about some healing. And we didn't know how it was going to play out. I had no idea that within six months I would be running the organization. I just knew that God had said, love these people. And during those six months of learning how to truly love this vast and different team, everything under the rainbow, all different kinds of people. And learning to love them practically, 
God was giving me their hearts so that when the former director left, all of a sudden the owner goes, tag, you're it. And I'm going, no, I've never done this before. <laughs> I don't have a business degree. I'm a really great second. You need to go find your lead. And she said, no, you're it. I said, no, I've always been an Aaron, not a Moses. So you're Moses now. And I was like, oh my Lord. But it, these people were like, we want her. We want her. And so I dedicated the book to three former bosses and that first team. Because that first team worked with a very green leader who didn't know anything about leading or running an organization. They just knew I loved them. And so they taught me the industry. My people taught it to me. And my vendors taught it to me. And it was my most beautiful season at work ever. I walked into my calling and didn't know that what I was really made of and what I was made for until then. And it still brings tears to my eyes. It's this passion to love people. In fact, if people were to say to me, Joan, with your salon and spa made simple, which is the business I have, what is it that you really bring to the table? I'd be like, well, if you're experiencing a lot of turnover, I'm your girl. Because more than likely, you might have a leadership problem. If it's constantly turnover, mm -hmm. there's a common denominator and it's probably you. <laughs> so let's mm -hmm. figure out how help you, how to lead, lead people. So you could have, I can tell you how to get your books correct. I can tell you what those ratios should be. I can give you systems. But if you don't know how to treat your people, all the systems, all the SOPs that I write for you aren't going to matter if you don't know how to love your people well. That's exactly I'll right. I'll show you how to fire well. I'll show you how to hire and fire well. I'll show you how to train your people. But it all comes down to are you really connecting with your people? Are you seeing them as your best investment? And how, how what are you going to do with that which has been entrusted to you? That is why you'd hire me. <laughs> I like that, entrusted to you. So when, yes. did, when did you move out of managing a salon into training salon owners? There came a point that after 28 years in business, the company finally did close its doors. And at that point, we had prayed to come to Nashville for a long time. We, we loved Nashville. And I remember saying to my husband, if we don't go now, if I take a job here and we don't go now, we'll never make the move. But this is where most of our family lived. And we really wanted to be here. And you were so, in Houston uh, at the time. We were in Houston. So I put a little fleece board. I was like, okay, if you want us to go, could you please just help us sell our house really fast? I will tell you, it sold so fast, we never even got the sell sign in the yards. It was like it sold the first day on the market. There were multiple offers, and it was like, I guess we're going to Houston. Now, what we didn't know then, God says to Moses when he calls him Abraham, and he called him, he said, go to a land that I will show you, not that I have shown you. So that journey, and they journeyed in stages you don't know what the next stage, what the next stage, what the next stage. There were so many things that had we known, we probably would have never left. But he doesn't make mistakes because that's part of the unfolding of the journey. I probably would have never truly started my own business. I probably wouldn't have had the courage to do that. So it's easier just to work for somebody else. But this passion about developing people. So I got certified with John Maxwell, became a certified leadership trainer with John Maxwell. Then I wrote a book and then began to launch out with Salon and Spa Made Simple. And it's just looking for those. I only work with a handful of clients at a time, but it's those that are willing to commit. So it's Salon and Spa owners and aspiring six-figure stylist. If they come to me and they're teachable, I've got my one little one that I'm working here with. I've been working with her for four years now, stylist. She came to me with that heart. I coached her through school. Then I coached her through her apprentice program. First year in business, she hit number two in the company out of 70 employees. And this year, she'll be number one. And she is making six figures. But she was so teachable, so coachable, that it's, now it's grown into more of a mentorship relationship mm -hmm. because she's just soaring. She would just was like a little sponge. So she opened my eyes up to going, I would work with some stylists. I always thought I just wanted to work with owners or director of operations. But as they've come to me, they've really come by word of mouth. And it's just a, it's just going, is this the next one? Is this the next one? Remember we talked earlier about how I always keep 
acorns in my office. Yes. And because I believe that when I look at an acorn and I'm teaching my grandson about the acorns, I will always tell him, this is not just one acorn that you see. Inside of this little tiny acorn, there's a forest. Because when this seed falls into the ground, it will a tree will come up and from that, hundreds of thousands of acorns will fall over the course of its lifetime. So from this, so I see now that what I'm doing with the hand few that come, the handful that I work with the clients at a time, is it's a seed bearing season. It's a seed planting season. I hope with all my heart, that the lessons that I get the joy of walking beside them will produce a healthy company that is flourishing for the owner, flourishing for the staff and flourishing for the clients who come, that I teach them these seeds. And I'm hoping long after I'm gone, that those leadership lessons of leading people will continue because that is the impact that we make. Uh, I may never see all of it till the other side, but this is what I really believe. The most precious commodity on the planet is people. Mm -hmm. So everything that we do should be about how do I love them and serve them? I like that brooch as well, especially with the acorns, because you are developing business owners. And if you can get them to develop their business, to love on people, you can have a ripple effect that will continue for generations. And For generations. I, I never ran a payroll, Greg, with that. I didn't see the individual without thinking of the families. Mm -hmm. So when I would run that payroll of a hundred and something people, I would be, this just isn't a hundred employees. This is a hundred families that are able to clothe their children and put shoes on their feet and food on the table. So you start seeing people development from a completely different viewpoint when you understand that it's, it goes well beyond. It's important that we profit. Without profit, there is no flourishing. So we need to profit and we need to show them how to be profitable. But it's why we're profitable. We're profitable that people might flourish and walk into their best days. Not only are you planting seeds, but you are also serving as a vine dresser, really, when you're dealing with the business owners, because you're helping them to cut out the unprofitable things in their business, but also yes. the unfruitful things of their life that is causing the disruption among their staff and causing yes. their business to falter. I love that. Yes. What a mission. Yes. Yeah. I even did, I did a post on that. I, it's a picture of a vine dresser cutting a vine. And it's like, you will learn if you see it this way, that means unhealthy things that are in your business. But it, that's just where I learned how to terminate, that it was okay. That if I was holding on to something that was not growing well on the vine, it was okay to say, let's get you grafted in somewhere else. It's just not here. So you start to just, you see it from a flourishing mindset that you want for it's human flourishing. We were created for human flourishing. And I'm super passionate about that. So you wrote a book then about your experiences and things like that in the workplace. Tell us about that. Yeah. So the book was, is called Sacred Work in Secular Places. And I knew for a long time I was going to write a book. I just didn't know what it was going to be about. And I think God laughed and said, we'll put that on the back burner for about 30 years because you got a lot of you got a lot of learning to do because you don't have any lessons really worth teaching. So as I came into that business, it was one day, it's one story, I had a young man that was pretty suicidal. Mm. And he had asked me if we could go to lunch. I did not always go to lunch with my staff, but on this particular day, I felt like God to go to lunch with him. So we went to lunch and he just unfolded his story before me and he cried. I cried. I wept. Just such trauma. And it, it really impacted me just to know how hurting he really was. And it was just a few days later, he came and he sat by my desk. I had this thing that Greg, that I'd done. I don't know where I got the idea, but I put this empty chair next to my desk. And when I set the empty chair there, it was like the Lord reminded me, this is to keep you grounded, Joan, that your people are more important than your paperwork and your projects. Mm -hmm. So the empty chair is to remind you of what's most important. So when he sat down, he just put his head in his hands and he started to cry. And then he looked up at me with these tears just running down his face. And he said, 
am I going to make it, Mrs. Jones? Am I going to make it? I don't know. I broke every HR rule, probably possible. I just know that I reached over, I patted him on the knee, probably would have held him. It didn't matter. He needed to be comforted. And I just remember patting him on the knee and I looked at him and I said, I have people praying for you. You are, I knew in that moment, this was not his time to go home. So you're going to make it. Now, when he stood up and I said, I've got people praying for you, you're going to get through this. When he stood up, I saw him just straighten up his shoulders and his head held high. And it was like, it didn't matter if he didn't know Jesus. He just knew that Jesus knew him. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit said, and that is sacred work Mm -hmm. in a sacred place. And I went, that's the title of the book, isn't it? And it just began to be this collection of stories of partnering with God in this beautiful, broken world. That is what it was about. How do I partner with him? Now, it doesn't mean beating people up with the Bible. I don't believe in that. It means love them so well that when they hit those hard places, they know who loves them and they will come and they give you permission to speak into their life. That is the difference maker. Excellent point. That's right. It's a friendship first before you can actually impart on any teaching. Otherwise, it's lecturing and nobody needs another lecture, but they do know need to know somebody cares enough to tell them the yes. truth and to love on them through a very difficult situation. Yes. And maybe tell them, hey, the problems you're having. Well, yeah, then they will ask you, well, Joan, how do you get through? And then that's usually when I'll say, this is a separate conversation than my role as a boss or as a leader. Would you like to meet for coffee? Mm-hmm. I can share this with you outside of work. I'd be happy to. But when you love well, you earn the right to speak well into their life. So that's a great point. A lot of people spend more time at work than they ever do at church. So when you're talking about turning work into a sacred place, there's a definite need for that. Oh, truthfully, Greg, it is the greatest mission field. We, our churches are not filling up with people right now. I believe if we love them, we invite them into our home. We host dinners from around the table in your own home. As that relationship is strengthened, there will come a day when you can say, we're going to have somebody speaking on that. Would you like to come and visit? I think that's how we'll repopulate the church. We go to the highways and the byways, so they're not coming in. Does that stop us? No. You've got this huge mission field to love people because they are image bearers. They bear his image. You can treat them with respect. You be the one, the leader that treats them with respect. You be the one that shows them dignity. You, like I was working with a a leader and I had the privilege. She said, what am I really doing wrong? I said, stop calling your people out in public. Don't go into your office and have it out with them. But never shame someone in public. You wouldn't want your own children shamed in public. Don't shame your people in public. Stop it. Stop that mess. (laughs) Exactly. And the church is not a building. So when you're talking about bringing people into the church, it's wherever the Christians are. So there's technically turn your workplace into a church, really, when you're treating people with respect and serving the needs of others and loving on them unconditionally and giving of your time and your money and your resources and things like that to help other people. Yeah. And really watch for the opportunities. They're just amazing. You might overhear someone that has a true need and you don't go pay for it out of the company budget. You feel the Lord tug on your heart and you go, no, you give a hundred dollars. You need that need. So you start to look for, how can I love well? on a really authentic way. And it's just beautiful. It is a beautiful opportunity to really love people. Understand that the Lord has given you a mandate for another season in your life. Why don't you talk about the winter saint mandate? I love that term. Now that I am officially senior (laughs) and I knew that this day was coming, they just don't tell you how fast it's coming. But I happened to be studying several years before this mandate thing arose. God, he plants a seed and it doesn't always start. It doesn't grow into this huge tree overnight. But I had been reading the story in John chapter two, where Jesus turns the water into wine. It is his first miracle. And as I'm reading it, 
I thought that's a great story. And then I heard the Holy Spirit say, did you catch that? I said, catch what? He said, I saved the best for last. Mm -hmm. He said, I want you to see this as a picture, John. He goes, you thought you knew love when you got married. Then you really thought you knew love when you had children. And then you were over the moon in love when you had that grandchild. He said, it just gets better and better. I saved the best for last. I want you to know that's what I speak over your last season in life. I saved the best. And then he led me to Psalms 92, which says, the righteous shall flourish even in old age. Mm -hmm. They will bear much fruit. Now, that doesn't sound to me like sitting on the sidelines. Amen. It says, I am to bear that I will bear much fruit, even in old age. And then he took me to Psalm 78, which says, speak to a generation that does not yet know the mighty works of the Lord. And the Lord was like, let me just tell you, up until six, it was just all prep. Mm-hmm. All prep. Now you have stories to share. Now you can say, there's no food in your pantry. Let me tell you a story. And I can tell them that the time I had no food in my pantry. And two hours later, a knock came on my door. And suddenly my children had food to eat at a very difficult time in her life. I can tell you about the time I, I didn't have a car. Not a problem. Back to my lifetime, God has given me five cars. I have these stories that God is using to say, this is what it's shown. I want you to have stories. I want all of my children to have stories. But here's the problem. Most of you never let me take you to the Red Sea. You don't want to go to the Red Sea. Because going to the Red Sea means, oh my God, they're right there behind us. The enemy is going to swallow us up. And we've never seen the Red Sea part before. God's going to And you get your Red Sea moment. We get the Red Sea moments because there's hard things. So we, the winter saints, have Red Sea stories to tell. Mm -hmm. You know, even as my son left for college and I got a letter from him when he's a senior. Now he's well past that. He's got a job. He's doing great. But I can remember in the letter he said, I have learned well and I will never forget when God brought the groceries to our door, when there was no food in the pantry. And you got down on your knees, mom, you pray. Got a little mad at God. I did. I got a little mad at God that day. And God showed up with beautiful groceries. He want these stories. So the winter saint mandate, when he says, speak to a generation that does not yes, no, he's saying to the winter saints, you speak to those zennials. You speak to those millennials. You speak to that generation behind you because you can share something that their peers cannot share. You can share the faithfulness of God over and over. You can share it for decades. Now open up your mouth. That is so true. And I wish more churches understood the role that seasoned citizens can play in the lives of other people rather than delegating people over 50 or 60 or 65 or whatever into special groups where they can hang out together or assign them to the prayer team. While prayer is important, it's the mentoring of the younger generations where people our age can have tremendous influence in the church and in the world. Because there's a life of experience of having walked with God. That is why he said when they crossed the Jordan, he commanded them to bring up those stones. And he said, when your children and your children's children pass these places and they say, what are those stones? You say, oh, those are the stones of remembrance. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, let me tell you a story. We have those stories to tell. And and if people just sat with it long enough, story after story will begin to surface in your mind. And when you're walking with someone and having coffee with someone, the Holy Spirit is going to remind you, hey, yeah, remember when that happened? Remember when this happened? And you're able to impart a real story into someone's life that says, see, here's what my mom used to say. You can argue theology. You can argue about all these things, but you cannot argue against an experience. That's right. Someone has an experience. There's no shaking you from that experience. You can't deny when this happened and when this happened and when this happened and how the seas were parted for you. 
how there was no way forward and God made a way. That's right. You can tell hard places. Yeah. You can say all the time, God will provide, God will provide. And people are like, I don't even believe in God, but you can tell them I was desperate. I got angry with God. I needed provision. And all of a sudden the groceries appeared. How do you argue against that? Let me tell you how angry I was. I had been in full-time ministry when the whole ministry crumbled because of failure and the moral failure and the leadership. We had signed life covenant. We thought we would be with this organization forever. I had a nervous breakdown over it. It was my theology was wrecked. I didn't know what I believed. And in that healing year where I had a breakdown to have a breakthrough is when this happened. And I remember standing in the kitchen and I said to God, I opened that pantry door and there was nothing but bread. And I said, God, David said, I have been young and now I'm old. I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. We got bread. Thank you very much. I didn't know that you meant we'd literally just have bread. I was so mad. And then it was like, I thought of the scripture about, I know the plans I have for you, plans for to prosper you and give you a future and a welfare. Did you mean I'd be on welfare? <laughs> Which so angry. And then it was about two hours later, same day, when there was a knock on my door. And I opened the door and there was a woman I hadn't seen for about two years. Wow. In fact, her husband had been in the same predicament as my husband, looking for work during that oil crisis in the 80s. Couldn't find work in Houston. And I said, what are you doing here? And she pointed her little finger at me, waved it in my face. She goes, God told me to come. And then she threw back the van doors and just started to bring in bags and bags of groceries. And when she left, the tears are falling down my face. She sticks a hundred dollar bill in my hand and I gather those little babies and I just, may you always know it pays to serve Jesus. And that is when God said, you prayed for this year's job. You said you wanted miracles that your children would know that the God of the Bible still does miracles. You don't get those unless you stand in great need. Will you trust me to take you to the Red Sea? That's awesome. I've got little Christ bumps up and down my arms uh, listening to that story. That is great. So what are you doing with the mandate right now? Are you taking it to churches? Right now what I'm doing is I, I have a little Facebook group called the Winter State Mandate. and and I, I set, I'm working on Thelon and Spa full f- until December, but come in 2024, I will show up weekly. I try to show up weekly with just, this might sound strange, when God drops something in my heart, I, I try to show up and, and say, here's what I learned today, a way of encouragement for the winter saints. I don't ever want to make something. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So it's okay, God, if I say I'm going to go and do this every week in 2024, are you coming through? <laughs> Are you going to give me something that you want me to teach? Not that it brings me honor, but is there something that burns on your heart that you want to share with these winter saints that you will use us as a rally cry, that wherever they are, they will understand their mandate? I know that this is, not only do we have a crisis of loneliness in America, in the world, winter saints feel unseen, unheard, unvalidated, unnecessary, irrelevant. Yes. And that is not what God says. In scripture and in most cultures, the elderly are really honored. Exactly. Not too much here. So it is about don't wait for permission. I need you to start setting your own tables. Don't if you don't get a seat at somebody's table because you're old, set your own old table. Invite people that need to be seen and heard and valid. Invite a few young people to sit at that table. Exactly. Uh, but don't wait for permission. Yep. Do what God is telling you. We be doer, He said not to just be hearers okay. of the word, but be doers of the word. So if you open your eyes, there we, we will see those divine appointments. And it doesn't matter how big or how little they are. God has the right to reserve the size of our audience. So I may never be a Beth Moore. I may never be a Priscilla Shot. That's that's okay. Mm -hmm. That is up to God. He knows the circle that he has made for me to impact. So I tell people, don't do that. 
Just trust, look where your feet are planted. Ask yourself what is in your hand and give that in that area. For me, that's why I kept going with salon and spa. That is what God beautifully gave me. Uh, uh, and, and he's not going to waste that. As long as there's breath in my body and somebody needs to learn, I'm going to offer them. And now this next season will be just moving into, it's, it's really going to be more of the mandate, but I think it will be mentoring, mentorship as well. Yeah. The word mentorship is forming in my mind, is stronger, is there are people, almost every woman that I now work with is in her 40s, the ages of my children. Mm-hmm. And it's like he's saying, do you see the ages of the women that God keeps placing in your life? Mentor them. That's you know, excellent. So. so will you offer coaching? I probably will, coaching and mentorship. But first, I just want to be obedient to bring the encouragement, and then we'll see how it grows. I've really, I don't know where it's leading. I just feel like the mandate part, I feel like God just entrusted it to me. Not to say it's yours, Joan. This is a rally cry. Mm -hmm. So just start the rally cry. I don't even know how to do that, but it's start the rally cry. There are, this is what I felt like. I know that I am a product because of people who have prayed for me, who are now on the other side. So it's my time, it's our time to faithfully pray. I'm a huge believer in silence and solitude. I am a huge believer in learning how to make an appointment with the king. You have to hold that a high priority. So that is my first priority. 95% of the time, I'm not, I'm a covering legalist, not going to. But my goal is to always make an appointment with the king, put it on my calendar and get my marching orders from him and pray, learning to listen and learning to pray, counting that first my highest. And then if encouragement comes, but, and then you're open, then you'll start to see what did I read in scripture today? It's either for me or for somebody else. And if it's not for me, where are they, Lord? Is it a coffee date? Do you know it costs nothing except a cup of coffee? To call someone and say, hey, let's meet for coffee. Mm-hmm. It is an incredible, just sharing coffee. It's really part of my story too. There's a little sign if you could see it back here, but it says, all I need today is coffee and Jesus. Mm-hmm. And my editor gave it to me when we finished the book because she said, Joan, do you realize that you talked about coffee in every chapter of your book? <laughs> I am a Cajun. So I grew up drinking coffee, strong coffee, since I was knee high to a bullfrog. And I'm like, Everything centers around coffee in our family. Come for coffee. Go for coffee. And that is how most of my conversations with a lot of my staff happened. Let's just do coffee. Go grab a cup. Pull a chair up. Let's talk. It all all comes down to relationships. Yes. And how do you have that relationships? And you you develop, you can't have impact without contact, right? And so you need to have that contact and just sitting down with people for a cup of coffee or a meal or whatever the case might be, or just walk in the park, whatever it is. Whatever it is. I think if we would keep, Greg, top of mind that there really is a crisis of loneliness. People feel so lonely and so forsaken. They don't, even if they're in a big church, they're hiding. They don't know who to connect with. I, I remember my husband and I had gone to Cracker Barrel just for lunch one day, and an older lady was sitting over next to me. And I glanced over. I thought, something's wrong. Something's not right. And then it wasn't too long before I saw a waitress sit down next to her. The old lady just began to cry. So finally, I just got up and went and put my arm around her. I said, I noticed you the minute I came in. Are you okay? And she said, I've lost my husband recently. I'm just so oh, And I just thought, don't tell me there's not a crisis of loneliness. It can be in young people. Who feel like nobody sees me. Even kids, when they're victims Even of divorce, kids. they've been abandoned kids. by their parents and they're just so lonely and they can't make friends and nobody even notices where they are or who they are. Absolutely. So, so it's just paying attention to who is around you and listen to that little prompt. You know, it's as simple as you're standing in a Walmart line and you say, you've got the most beautiful smile I've ever seen. Or I sure love your demeanor. You are great at your job. One day I was at Walgreens and I could tell that little lady behind the counter was struggling. And she, she went through her thing of, how are you doing? And finally I looked there and said, how are you doing? And she said, I don't really like to tell my problem. I said, I know, but I want you to know something. I see you. 
Mm-hmm. My husband sees you. I want you to know we're going to go right out there in that car and we're going to pray for you. Oh, What's your name? It's that simple. It is that simple to say, I see you. And if you're not sure about prayer, you can say, would you mind if I prayed for you? Do you know that I've never had anybody turn me down for prayer? <laughs> never. Because it's not, it's, it's not, I'm not pushing religion. I'm just saying, would it be okay if I prayed for you? I'll keep you in my prayers. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, it means I'm going to my car right now and I'm going to go pray for you right now. <laughs> I, I hear from people all the time that they can't make a difference. They don't want to have a big platform. They don't even know how to develop a platform. But you just explained the most basic platform you could ever have is asking somebody, what's your name? It shows yeah. that you see them, you're interested in them, and you want to connect. Yes. And I, I, I'm so glad you said that because I remember I was talking to a friend of mine and, and I was like, well, I don't know how to start this. I was going to speak somewhere. And uh, he said, I have. So what he goes, this is really you, John. He said, when John Maxwell speaks, he says, hi, I'm John Maxwell and I'm your friend. friend. He said, you just need to say, hi, I'm Joan and I'm here to encourage you. He said, that is your gifting. He said, you you don't have, because I was worried. I said, I'll never be a Beth Moore. I'll never be persuaded. I can't stand up and exposit on all these scriptures the way they can. He said, didn't call you to do that. Exactly. He goes, who am I, Joan? I go, you're Barnabas. He goes, who are you? I'm Barnabas. Hey, Barnabas and Barnabas, he goes, yes. And you just stand up and say, I'm Joan, and I'm here to encourage you. That's he all. said, I just live in your gifting. If we could narrow it down to what's that one thing, and then just introduce, I'm Greg. I'm here to blah, 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 blah. Exactly. I'm, what would your one thing be? What would what your would one thing be? I'm here to tell your story. I'm here to tell your story. Mm-hmm. Yes. You see how simple that, because why? We've been talking about it. Because stories matter. And everybody has a story. Everybody, everybody has, has a story. In 2014, we went to this conference called the Storyline Conference that Donald Miller put on. And for years, my husband got, he had gotten one of the t-shirts that it, all it simply said is your story matters. I cannot tell you how many places we've been when even young people would stop him and go, hey, I like your story. I like your shirt. I like what your t-shirt says. Mm-hmm. And it just simply said your story matters. What an invitation. That's exactly right. Tell me your story. Yeah. I know. Tell my, me your My mom always thought that she had nothing to offer anybody because she never had a spectacular life. And I'm like, your story is you raised two kids as a single parent. And yes. you struggled without a degree. And you still made it managed to make a living. How many other women can you encourage who are struggling uh, with that today? She absolutely. Just, mm-hmm. It's just... It is a, just simply asking people to tell their story is powerful. Right. This is what I learned when I went to work at that spa, which most people weren't like me there, you know, and here's what I learned, Greg. When you do know someone's story, you will never judge them again the same way. I agree. Because suddenly their tears matter to you. Does it matter if you're not on the same page politically, spiritually? You know them. So when they cry, you cry. We get to experience just a little bit how God heals for people. Mm-hmm. But he says he weeps with us when we weep. He laughs with us when we laugh. So when you suddenly know someone, you don't think of them the same way. They're real to you. Exactly. And I think it's easy to, to judge people that we don't always know. How can people well, connect with you if they wanted to reach out yes. to you? Oh, they can, they can follow me. I have, uh, I'm Joan. Turley on Instagram, Joan L. Turley. Uh, I have a, I'm, I'm on Facebook as Joan Turley, but uh, I don't mind uh, if you want to drop, I can drop my links, give them to you. That would be the easiest way because I do respond when people direct message me. Okay. I do respond. So. Do you have a website? I do. There would, right now they'll follow me at Salon and Spa Made Simple. Joan L. Turley is being, dot com is being rebranded for Winter Saint. But Joan L. Turley, Salon and Spa Made Simple dot com. I do reach out there. Same thing with Salon and Spa Made Simple on Instagram. I, I check it all the time. I will respond. Very good. I really appreciate you sharing your story with us today. You have been very encouraging to me. And I just love the fact that you believe people over 50 have a mandate to share yes. their story and that there is Absolutely. something important for them still to do. And they should not be wasting their time. 
sitting at home and not waiting for permission. Exactly. That's they've already been given the permission from God. He's already told you speak and tell a generation that does not yet know. (laughs) That's right. Thank you again. I really appreciate your time. My interview with Joan Turley, the founder of Salon and Spa Made Simple, was one of my favorites. It truly was full of golden nuggets of truth. I was especially moved by Joan's revelation that although the staff, vendors, and clients of the beauty salon she managed weren't anything like her, they were like God and created in His image. As a result, she was called to love on them and to build them up whenever possible. She reassigned the business's priority around taking care of staff first, vendors second, and clients third. After all, Joan knew if she took care of her staff the right way, they would take care of their clients. Joan engaged in a process of building people up by creating specific restoration plans to correct unwanted behaviors. If that didn't work, she nudged staff to find a way to flourish somewhere else. She was so successful at the salon that Joan started a business called Salon and Spa Made Simple to help other salon owners turn around their struggling companies into thriving businesses. Over the years, Joan discovered many opportunities to perform sacred work even in secular places. She wrote a book by that name, which was a collection of stories about partnering with God in a beautiful but broken world. As Joan reached her 60s, she felt called to instill in other older people of faith what she calls a Winter Saints Mandate, to share their stories with people around them. The best part of the mandate is helping people to realize that God always saves the best for last. The Bible proclaims seasoned citizens will still bear fruit and flourish even in an old age. Joan knows there's a crisis of loneliness in America and the rest of the world, yet winter saints often feel unseen, unheard, unvalidated, unnecessary, and irrelevant. She tells people you don't need permission to enjoy a better life. If you don't get a seat at somebody else's table because you're too old, then set your own table and invite others to yours. Simply noticing other people goes a long way to ending loneliness and lack of purpose in the lives of seasoned citizens and younger generations too. She said simply asking people to tell their story is powerful because it's important and it matters. Inviting people to share their story is a great way to start a conversation and a relationship. People can connect with Joan on Facebook and Instagram. She promises to respond to anyone who sends her a direct message. Business owners looking for help can connect with Joan at www.salonandspamadesimple.com. That's all I have for this week's show. If you'd like help in identifying a purpose for your life or get help planning your next steps, I'm offering a complimentary brainstorming session to members of the Forward from 50 Facebook community. For details, connect with me on Facebook or visit www.forwardfrom50.com. I'll have another inspirational interview on the next episode of the Forward from 50 podcast. Thanks for listening. And if you like this show, please consider leaving a review wherever you download the episodes.